The Decameron, A Year of Otherworldly Tales. Episode 20, Brothers in Harm. Are you okay to do this right now? Lucas asked Isabel in the private chat. I'm fine. I'd like to, and I'll be off the hook next week, she replied, trying to reassure him. She continued her story. True to her word, the treacherous queen called her stepson home. He arrived with a splendid entourage and was formally received, acting every inch the prince. His father was pleased to see him, but troubled in the back of his mind that his daughter had not been seen in the house or on the grounds in some time. He was a weak man, and never gainsayed his wife's wishes, even when he understood the depth of his daughter's debasement as a result of his harsh words. Despite his persistent worry, it also never occurred to him to find her, apologize, or try to make things right. He asked his son to look to the welfare of his sister. For the semblance of honor, the young man reluctantly agreed. His stepmother brought him to the crag to behold his sibling. As they walked there together, the queen tripped along very close to her stepson, hanging simperingly off his arm, giggling and flirting with him like a court strumpet. He found it different, but not displeasing. She was a handsome woman, and not many years his senior. Perhaps when his father finally died, and he came into the fullness of his inheritance, of course she would have to be presented in a certain light at court. But the king had never met his father's second wife. No one would suspect. No one of any importance, anyway. Distracted by these pleasant daydreams, the laird's son was brought up short when he looked over the crag and beheld his sister in her transformed state. Ugh, he cried. She's, it's repulsive. Did you do this? Yes, my lord, his stepmother demurred. We discovered that she was keeping company with the stable hand. I cursed him too. He's now a bear living in the wilds beyond your father's, your domain. Feel free to go hunting if that takes your fancy, she suggested brightly. Will my sister stay like that? Yes, unless you kiss her three times. That's hardly likely. I should just kill her and put her out of our misery. The boy definitely had a future, his stepmother thought. Instead, she purred, as you wish, my lord, but she's a thief as well as a harlot. Certain objects have gone missing from the manor. Some are of no consequence, but there are a few you might like to have for yourself. A sword that always strikes true in battle, a ring that spares the wearer from poverty and ill fortune, and a belt that keeps the wearer's reputation intact, regardless of his mm, proclivities. Something your sister could have well used if she'd only known what it was for. They laughed together. 
So, are you suggesting that I actually agree to kiss that thing in exchange for these treasures, rather than just kill her and go searching for them myself? Yes, my dear, the stepmother continued. I am suggesting exactly that. Strike a deal with her, one kiss for one treasure. Once she begins to transform and loses the protection of her scaly hide, strike. The laird's son thought it was a masterful plan. Hiding in some bushes close by, having seen what his banishment and her stepmother's evil heart had done to his beloved, John was of a very different opinion. He would stop this if he could. After the pair had gone, John approached the place where Isabel was tethered. Though he could never speak during his transformation from one form to another, once the change was complete, he was able to talk, whether bear or man, if he chose. Do not look at me, she pleaded softly, trying unsuccessfully to coil herself smaller and hide. And do not come near. My stepmother tells me my very breath is poisonous, and my skin is covered in venom as a discouragement to he who has to kiss me in order to restore my true form. John shed a tear at her suffering. I will bring each of the items from your dowry that are in your chest as he agrees to each kiss. Once you have begun to transform, I will defend you one last time that your disenchantment may be complete. If I do not, your brother plans to kill you when you are betwixt and between. You do not have to do this. Yes, he said, I do. The next day, Isabel's brother came to see her again. He was armed, but alone. Just like old times, eh, sister? You at my mercy, me tormenting you in disgust. Where shall we begin? He jumped up behind her and prodded the softer flesh where he judged the nape of her neck would have been with his sword. He could finish her now. It would be so easy. She looked miserable. No wings, no limbs, no claws. Bound by her hair to the crag. Why, except for that tangled mess, he thought, she is little more than a snake. No, not a snake. A worm. She coiled and turned, lashing out with her powerful head. Where the sword tip touched her scaly skin, it first blackened with tarnish, then heated and melted as if newly forged, though she had no fire. He jumped back, throwing down his ruined blade, which now looked like a roughly made dagger with a ridiculously oversized hilt. You shall pay for that. No doubt I shall, brother. And there is a sword in my dowry I will give you, last of all my treasures, if you but agree to kiss me thrice, so that I can take my own form again. For the first kiss, though, accept this belt. The wearer is seen in honor and nobility at all times, regardless of his character. Closing his eyes and screwing up his face in distaste, her brother stooped in and kissed her. He took the belt that John had earlier brought from the cave and left. Isabel noticed that her scale seemed less slimy with secreted poison, and a tress of hair fell across her face. Unlike the rest of her hair, this one wasn't matted seaweed green and gray. It was golden. The next day, her brother returned. 
What do you have for me now? he asked. A ring that, as long as it is worn, will never let you know penury, even if you have debts that, if called in, could fill the treasuries of a hundred realms. Her brother liked the sound of that prize. He loved dice and cards, though they did not love him back. The king had made him forswear all games of chance while at court, to avoid further scandal or the risk that his reckless, luckless foster son might be caught cheating or short on payment. He kissed her again and slipped the ring on his finger, admiring it like a newly betrothed maid. I feel richer already, he flourished a bow and departed. Isabel felt more of her bonds loosen and looking into a small pool of water that had collected in a shallow flat dip in the rocks of the crag, she saw that some of the scales on her neck and face had fallen away. Her eyes, too, looked more rounded and human. The next day, John brought Isabel the sword. He was of two minds as to whether he wanted to be man or beast when her brother came, whether he wanted to be able to strike him down with the blade or use brute force. He hid and waited. When her brother arrived, he noticed the other changes that had taken place since his last kiss. It might be a shame to kill her. In his cups the night before, his father grieved that when he had seen her last, he marveled how fair she had become. She's the very image of her dear mother he had mourned aloud in drunken sorrow. The son dismissed the foolish old man, but if it were indeed true that there was a real beauty under that hideous guise, if he were thinking of taking his stepmother to court as his bride, his sister could accompany them as his... The prospect was intriguing. Worse things happened in families, he was sure and nobility was above the considerations of mere morality. Everyone knew that. Still bespelled, Isabel saw the sick look on her brother's face and decided to break his reverie. One last kiss and then the sword, brother. It need not be our last, sister, if you will promise to come home and behave. I'm sure I can get our parents to welcome you back. Father is quick to anger, but easily persuaded of his folly. We don't have parents anymore, brother. She is not my mother. Even so, dear sister, you could make what comes after this a lot easier on yourself. John felt himself changing, filling with rage at the young knight's manner toward Isabel and his vile suggestion. Then he felt his transformation stop. He was half man, half bear, with all the strength and skills of both. Kiss me one last time, brother, and take up the sword, my last payment. But know that if you touch me, my sword, the belt, and the ring will be your death. Her brother kissed her a third time, and she transformed into the fairest woman he had ever seen. Her long, now golden hair was her only covering. You could be a gentleman and give me your cloak, she observed. 
"'You are absolutely charming just the way you are,' he replied, slipping his cloak from his shoulders and letting it fall to the ground. He moved closer. John fell upon him from the bushes on the overhanging ledge, wild with rage. He grabbed the sword and cut off the knight's hand, the one that wore the magic ring. John ripped the belt from around his waist and tore it in two. Then he ran the knight through with the sword and pulled the blade out, casting it aside. That was the man's work. The bear took over and attacked Isabel's brother with such force that both tumbled over the edge of the crag into the roiling sea. Isabel covered herself with her brother's cloak, having nothing else. The severed hand shriveled and the ring fell off, rolling and bouncing along the ground to Isabel's foot. She put it on and picked up the sword with both hands. She was about to clean it on some mossy bark when her stepmother appeared. What have you done? she shrieked. She reached for the wizened claw-like hand, stroking it as if it were a child's or something precious. Isabel thought better of cleaning the sword. Her stepmother should share in her own poisonous magic. She held the sword with both hands and scraped the blade along the rocky ground over the area where she had been tethered, letting it pick up the remains of scales and other filth. Then she swung it around and struck her stepmother squarely in the leg. Toad, she pronounced. Her stepmother shrank and changed, turning into a large toad with slimy, poisonous skin and a definite limp in one injured back leg. She gave Isabel a last baleful glare and hopped away. Weeping with sorrow and relief, Isabel returned to John's cave with the sword and the torn remnants of the belt. She kept the ring on her finger. The chest with the baby clothes, pendant, and her mother's book of hours was still there. Either she was stronger or the chest was smaller and lighter than she remembered. She doubted the sword would fit in it now. She opened the lid and the sword became a silvery quill pen. She put it inside the box. She folded the pieces of the belt together and they became a book, white pages one side, black the other. On the white pages, she read what had happened to her and where she should go. On the black pages, she read what might happen if she made another choice. She placed that inside the chest as well. She opened her mother's book of hours. It was now a bestiary. There was a new entry, Werebear, inscribed with a picture of John in his last half-turned incarnation, the form in which he had also driven her away. She replaced the bestiary and closed the lid. Then she picked up the chest and departed to make her way in the world with her treasures as best she could. Her stepmother is said by unmarried girls to haunt the laird's domains to this day in the form of a poisonous toad. Isabel finished and pressed the hot key. Five of spades. Well, I'm next and I'm inspired, Mara said, signing off. If one existed, she wanted a book of black and white pages that could read the present, the future, and the possible. If that little snake of a girl had one, she'd get it from her.
Jack and Lucas were speechless. Before they could type anything, though, Isabel's phone actually rang. Owen. Yes, brother? What can I do for you? she asked. It's what you can't do, sister mine. Telling tales in or out of school about the family? he clucked mockingly. You know we can't have that. The Decameron, A Year of Otherworldly Tales, is an original work by Shauna Kozar, all rights reserved. Shauna gratefully acknowledges that she lives and works in a beautiful, storied place, the ancestral lands of the Snamuk First Nation, and that she crafts her tales thanks to the support of the Canada Council.